Welcome to Real Talk Arkansas. On this episode, we are having a really fun panel discussion on movies and music. It's just something that going all the way back to the beginning of film, um, music has been really the backbone in a lot of ways. If you look at silent films, I mean, you had like a pianist or an organist there in the theater who was playing along with things. And of course, over time, that's evolved. I mean, you've got J- John Williams' score of Star Wars. I mean, what would that be without like the Darth Vader march or that opening crawl uh, with the Star Wars theme? There's just so many iconic songs. And so today, we're going to talk about movies and music. We're going to talk about those great scores. We're going to talk about movies about music. We're going to talk about concert documentaries. This should be a lot of fun. Joining me today is Damon Tolbert. Damon uh, is a jazz musician and University of Arkansas Pine Bluff professor. He performed during an event that we got to do with the Arts and Science Center in Pine Bluff, and that was a lot of fun. He also was on our panel discussion then, so it's really great to have Damon on the show. We have Kyle Kellums, the longtime host of Ozarks at Large on KUAF uh, here in Fayetteville, the local NPR outlet. And finally, we have Brian and Bernice Hembry, who are the musical duo Smokey and the Mirror, and they are also the co-founders of Fayetteville Roots Fest, which is just a magical weekend up here in town. It's definitely something you want to check out. So we will get started, and I hope you enjoy. Well, I want to thank all of you for being here today. This is a, a fun podcast we've got lined up. And you know, being at Arkansas Cinema Society, we're all about movies. And one important part with movies is music. And, you know, y'all are, we have three musicians here today, plus uh, a music aficionado and journalist uh, as well. So uh, I want to welcome you all to the show. Thanks thank for you. having us. Thank you. Thank you. I just want to state Kyle is, is a official musician, of, you know, in, in our mind. I mean, <laughs> yeah, in, in, in spirit. Well, there's one. I want to start off with a question, and Brian and Bernice, you probably know this. Anyone who's ever been on Ozarks at Large, the first question Kyle Kellum's ask you during sound check is, "What is the first film you remember seeing?" And mine is, I believe, the only time you've ever heard this, Kyle. It's the Care Bear movie, which yeah. I saw when I was like maybe four. I don't know. I, I, I was a, a young one, but um, so I want to take that, Kyle. I'm going to kind of rip you off for a second. So I want to ask the question. What is the first film you remember watching where the music stood out to you? And so, Kyle, I'll start with you on that one. Very easy. Uh, Wizard of Oz. I remember being, I don't know, six, seven, back when you only had network television. And my brothers had told me, oh, you've got to see this movie. You've got to see this movie. And before I talk about the music, just a little thing. I watched it the first time on a black and white television so they had told me, wait till she gets out of Kansas. And nothing happened because it was in black and white. I didn't see it turn to color till I had watched it a few other t- times. But to this day, I remember Judy Garland singing Somewhere Over the Rainbow. And it just floored me. And I can't tell you why then, other than, you know, it's this longing. And, and I, I don't think I've ever had a situation where a single song in a movie has meant as much. And I still would say it's one of the best songs ever written specifically for a movie. Yeah. Uh, Damon, what about you? Uh, well, uh, he took my answer because that was, that was that right there. Seriously. Um, growing up, um, 
on weekends, what I'd spend with my aunt, she would throw on musicals. So she was in a musical. So it was The Wizard of Oz. And uh, my second one was My Fair Lady. Um, and at that time, you know, growing up, I had no idea what was going on on the screen until the songs came on. And yeah. so, you know, the rain in Spain stays mainly in the plane. And, you know, just <laughs> yeah. to have those things pop up randomly. Um, and, of course, you know, it helped with my diction as well. I come from a family of teachers, so diction is very, very important. Uh, and so, yeah, as far as the musical score, you know, having the things on screen that it wasn't even necessarily them singing be accented as well. It's just like, it's kind of like watching a cartoon, but live. Yeah. Uh, my answer is, it's, uh, it's twofold. Number one, Cinderella, hands down. Um, my grandma loves Disney movies. Uh, and that was something that we would bond over when I was really young. And uh, I didn't watch much TV as a kid. That was something like, if it was daytime, you were outside. No way could you be watching TV. Uh, but over at Granny's house, we could do whatever we wanted. So Cinderella <laughs> came on. And I remember the moment of stopping in my tracks and hearing the singing is one thing, but just the score, the composition of the, the music entwining with the birds coming to sing at her windowsill. And it was uh, one of those that will never leave my memory. And Tom and Jerry cartoons, <laughs> like the, uh, the orchestration in, in those cartoons. I remember Saturday mornings just being blown away by the music and the cartoons. That was something that um, I always found really impressive. Yeah. What, what about you, Brian? I'm gonna break the mold here. I'm sorry, guys. Okay. Uh, and I guess I'll go with two because, you know, I like that you all have been talking about kind of like orchestrated score versus, you know, song-based score, you know, or lyric-based mm -hmm. score and that kind of thing. But um, my family tells a story about when I was a kid, they took me to see E.T. in the, in the movie theater eight times, mm -hmm. you know? And, and so, and, and I, I just can't imagine, I was probably just like E.T gotta go gotta go you know it just like gripped me and to this day when i hear that music uh i know it's imprinted somewhere in in deep in my psyche here's like one note oh man and he'll yeah. name it before we yeah. get there and so so from a scored film definitely et um but from a from a like song-based um perspective uh just a few years after that um coal miner's daughter which is where what i was saying about breaking the mold with where we were heading down here um I remember it was the first VHS tape that my family ever bought. And this is back in the day. And I watched a documentary recently that corroborated this, that VHS tapes were like $99. And I remember we, we, we bought this VHS tape for almost $100. And so we only owned one. And for whatever reason, it, you know, my mom's favorite movie or whatever was, was Coal Miner's Daughter. It was the new release, uh, you know, that, that she was really wanted to have. And I watched that movie over and over again. And... Uh, that's where I got introduced to Levon Helm and, and so much of like early country and Americana roots style music. And, and it's just such a great movie. And so, you know, from a, from a lyric based song standpoint, that, that, that's my movie for certain. So that one really like shaped who you are today in a lot of ways, I mean, kind of set the path in some it, ways. It does, man. Like the whole front end of that movie, uh, first I love biopics. And so the whole front of that movie, you know, tickles my biopic fancy. But then there's a whole section of the movie where they're like, you know, going town to town in, a, in, a, in an old station wagon, like stopping at radio stations and giving interviews and then playing the gig that night, you know, and like, I, I'm all over, that's all we do, <laughs> you know? And, uh, and then, you know, then just like the over the top, you know, now, 
Loretta has made it and she's got big gowns and she's struggling with addiction and you know the the, the over the top Nashville kind of act three of that movie. I don't know. I just I, I love all 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 parts of that. That was like one of the original music biopics, wasn't it? You know, can anyone think of earlier ones of Glenn Miller story? I mean, I know I'm old. Yeah. I know no. I'm old. <laughs> well, I was yeah, story. I was gonna go to the Buddy Holly story, uh, which is right there, also in the early '80s. I'd have to I'd have to look up that. I think Buddy Holly story is probably like that's uh, Gary Busey, probably eighty one, eighty two, somewhere in there. But Lady yeah, Glenn, the blues. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, you know, now that you mentioned Glenn Miller, I, I I definitely perused that as a kid a lot because it was in that same biopic musician biopic mm -hmm. mold. But I I know I saw that after Goldminer's Daughter. But yeah, we'd have to dig into that, Cody. This is a whole thing, <laughs> music biopic. You know, know. Can we do a segment whole podcast. Yeah. We, we could. We have a whole series on that. Uh, what about you, Damon? Uh, biopic, any that you like for music? You know, off the top of my head, I was, I was trying to um, come up with something, but, um, you know, I guess, I guess my age is showing here. I just <laughs> couldn't, couldn't pick up one off the top of my head. Um, no, and when you, say, when you say biopic, you mean like a, a biography of a musician, correct? Yeah, like Ray or the the Miles Davis one that they did with Don Cheadle, like, like one of those. Oh, okay. Now, I will yeah. say Ray. Ray was very, very, very uh, – it was such a great movie, more so for the acting. Uh, and then to me, the music kind of it, – it allowed me to then go explore Ray Charles's music more, more than just for the blues aspect, you know, and to go back and find out that he did have whole big band charts behind him um singing straight ahead jazz and it's beautiful to me um that not only were we able to look into his life but i was able to explore the music after the fact and gain a new respect for uh an artist you know who has passed um there's a few biopics i would love to to see you know like luther vandross um oh yeah i just want to be in just next to him just want to travel back in time and just stand there in the corner you know um but yeah, as far as um, biopics, maybe The Temptations, that's a really good one. Um, Five Heartbeats, that's not necessarily a, it's a fictional biopic, but, you know, it has all the sauce of, of you know, reality in the music industry. Well, yeah. A little bit of, you know, hyperbole. Oh, uh, Dreamgirls, I think that's a fictional biopic. But yeah, and that's, and that's one I hadn't really seen. <laughs> it's good, it's good. And and then you get all the way into Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Is, uh, because, I mean, it, it's a hilarious movie. And it really did. Like, at that point, they had had that structure so nailed down with the biopic. It's like, you know, they're going to get addicted to something at some point, you know, and, and all that. But, yeah, that's for fictional biopics. I'm going with that one as my favorite. <laughs> but uh, what, what about you, Kyle? You, you, do you have one you want to uh, add? Bio, biopic? I mean, uh I don't know. I, I'm going to differ from Brian here. I'm not a huge fan of them because I'm the type that will watch a movie and then I'll instantly go, you know, on, online and see what did they do right? What did they, <laughs> what, did, what characters did they combine? I mean, I liked Ray. I liked, what was the Johnny Cash one? Uh, Walk the Line. Walk the Line. Yeah. Oh. yeah. <laughs> I liked them. Um, but I tend to, I don't know. I don't know. They, they're okay. I'm just not a huge fan. I'm always impressed when they have actors that are talented musicians mm. play the part. That is always impressive for me. I find it irritating when you have, like in My Fair Lady, I hate to like, I don't know if you know the same, but you know that um, 
Audrey, in the Audrey version, she didn't sing all of those songs because they didn't think her voice was strong enough. Oh, wow. It was a dagger to her. And she went through a long depression in her career because she felt like she wasn't living up to the sound of music stature that they were wanting from that same movie. And so they, they had some American artist record some of her songs and it was such a such a slap to her so i hate it when that happens and i'm so impressed when they have like a sissy spacek that can transform a part in a role and make make it as good as it should be yeah i mean i'm i'm actually right there with you kyle um i i do want to say you know we usually do agree and then when you said i'm i'm gonna take the opposite i was like oh my gosh this is this is amazing (laughs) i was waiting to hear what you're gonna say but but i but to like walk back from that i'm i'm right there with you i i actually think that's why i think coal miner's daughter stands right. up as, as a movie whether it's the performance and it is sissy spacek doing you know actually performing or just just all the elements of it um uh, few biopics hold up to that level and and i also think it was just a moment in time you know it, for whatever reason you know some of the more modern biopics have the advantage of cgi right. and some other elements that seem to make it otherworldly which takes it away from the realness for me uh. i don't know you know just something you know i i'd have to go and watch to really point out what i'm right mean about, but yeah i'm excited for the aretha biopic. oh man the the score for that i've heard is incredible and that's one they gotta get right i mean yeah. let's, let's just let's just yeah, Let's can't just, miss that one. She'll come back. She will haunt <laughs> somebody. She will, she will just like show up as a large, over, overpowering ghost and just like, get it wrong. Um, I don't know. This isn't a biopic, but there was that um, Pixar w- movie called Soul. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I recently discovered that and loved it. I thought it was so fantastic. And the jazz pianist going into the zone yes that is so real so real i just they really nailed they really nailed it how how you do get in the zone and Mm. and how it can transport you from where you are okay i want to ask about that because i'm not a musician and i've always envied that did you ever see the movie hustle and flow there's a sequence in there i think it's about two-thirds of the way through where we're watching these musicians create and you see them making this music and as someone who's never made music it seemed to me that was the most exciting portrayal i've ever seen on film of creativity now it may be complete bogus because i don't know that feeling and it's been years since i've seen it so i can't really remember what resonated but it it brought excitement i thought to the film this is two guys playing off each other how you would write music Hmm. Uh yeah it's uh uh as a as a jazz musician now that you bring up soul um one thing i really one thing i really really appreciated was they really got heavy hitter musicians to play those parts behind the behind the uh scenes so um i believe um no don't quote me on this if it was angela bassett playing the main uh female saxophonist role but the saxophonist behind her her name is tia fuller and she is amazing. She's a, a professor at UC Berkeley, if I'm not mistaken. Don't quote me on any of these things. Um, but she is a professor. Um, and as she was doing the CGI saxophoning, I'm running in my head, and they were doing the fingerings correctly. 
CGI. And I'm like, that's loads away from the Charlie Parker biopic where this guy's just kind of flapping around and they press play, (laughs) (laughs) you know, it just kept changing the shots. So you never really knew. Um, But that the feeling of the whole in the zone thing is, it's a, it's um, spiritual. It's, it's when you, you hit, you hit this, this frequency of I'm picking up this, sound from nowhere you know from from nowhere and somehow it's real open for me to sit down and, and just get it out um do you write kyle you're uh you're a writer Ever? not fiction i mean i for the radio show i'll, I'll write non-fiction you know stories news stories but mm-hmm. i've tried writing fiction before and boy that whatever zone is available there has eluded me i'm just not very yeah, good well, at it the the zone itself um, is is it's at the moment of creation. So even when you're writing something for for your new show, if if you ever came across like, oh man, these sentences back to back are really gonna hit them, and it's like, oh, I got another one for them, and then another one. That's that feeling, and it's yeah. about it's about that that open zone of expression. And if you can enjoy that with another person or a group of people, oh, that resonates, and it's just oh, it just gets so much better. I, I have seen Kyle in the zone. I want to say that. <laughs> Ky, Kyle's zone is live on the radio. And I've, I've, I've seen it up and close year after year. And, and Kyle has a plan, but, you know, it doesn't always follow plan. Or, you know, an idea comes up that the, the, the guest says something and Kyle goes in a different direction. And I've seen Kyle in the zone in that moment. And so that's your, that's your creative yeah. zone, Kyle. And, well, thank you. That's nice of you to say. Well, I want to jump back uh, to you know, talking about being in zone and the creation. Uh, Damien, you have your degree is, is part of it in composing. Am I wrong about that? Uh, yes, you're. You're. Um, uh, that's incorrect. My okay. uh, bachelor's in sound recording, and that's my okay. master's is in uh, music education. Okay. Well, but as far you, as oh, sorry. writing music, um, I kind of just. I've always been a creative. I've, I started off writing creative writing before I was writing music, and so. Um, as soon as I can hear it, it's kind of like talking. If you can read, you can write. If you can hear it, you can write it. Then it was never separate from me. So whenever I got a spark of music, I'm just like, oh, those are notes. I'm get them out. And um, so it's pretty much being inspired by these uh, cinematic movies and also uh, the music that I grew up listening to, uh, thanks to my dad being a DJ. I, I was I got exposed to a lot of different styles of music very early before I even knew what was happening. You know, I didn't realize like, for example, in like 90, uh, 95, whenever like the newest hip hop thing would come out, I was I thought I was a year behind. That's how separate I was from mainstream uh, music. I, I thought it was a year ago when this stuff was happening at that moment. And so um, the composing part has always been just there. I actually consider it my second instrument. Um, and you know, if you can read, you can write. That's the way I see it. Yeah, I, I think what I'm thinking of is you and I had talked about. Or you have some interest in maybe composing for film. Did, did oh, we have that conversation? Yeah. One, yeah, I think we did. Uh, the last time I saw you. Yeah. Uh, so, um, uh, I, I consider music being like emotions without words. And so, when a scene pops up and it makes me feel an emotion, it's almost immediate. I get a whole score built in my head. And because I've studied music, I can actually know that, oh, that's the French horn part. Oh, that's the tuba part. I need a timpani for that. You know, but in my head, it just comes up. And it's, uh, I, I, if I have the chance, I was like, 
try to sing it into my phone or something like that. But other than that, it might get lost and I'll just be walking down the street enjoying a whole cinematographic score in my head by myself. Yeah. Well, uh, Brian and Bernice, I want to jump over to y'all. I know that there's a project you're working on. We're not going to talk about it today. We definitely want you to come back once you're ready for that, for some uh, composition you're doing for a film. But uh, you guys, uh, in your previous band, I believe, didn't you do a uh, work with Theater Squared for a play uh, and write original songs for that? Not. We arranged some traditional music. Yeah. Okay. Uh, they, used, they used some old gospel yeah. and old traditional uh, like southern appalachian kind of style yeah. um that we then adapted for that yeah. okay well have you guys other than the project that you're you know working on in pre-production with right now have you got to compose for a film before no 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 it's a new new endeavor yeah. we've had people use our music for films or little website things or commercials but never written for something specific so yeah. that's exciting yeah yeah well i'm excited to hear about it once you guys are able to really you know jump into the water on that and come back and talk to us but you're talking about your songs being licensed out for films brings me back to one thing i want to talk about so we sort of talked about you know what music you know whether it was somewhere over the rainbow or what have you that jumped out to you but what soundtrack because like i grew up in the 90s and i was a kid one of the first cities i ever bought was the crow soundtrack i'm pretty sure i bought the soundtrack before i even saw the movie because my parents wouldn't let me watch r-rated films so I had to wait and go over to somebody's house whose mom didn't care. Uh, but I just remember how much it blew my mind, the soundtrack. And then you had so many classic ones from that era, like Empire Records and uh, High Fidelity and all these others. Um, so I'll throw this out to you guys first. Uh, do you have a favorite soundtrack of, you know, of that 90s style where it's like that really great mixtape? I have, I have two that come to mind. Uh, one is Great Expectations. I, that, I love it. I love that one. Yeah. It's in random. Like, I don't even remember how I got that soundtrack. It was probably uh, at the mall. I don't know. It might have been on discount and I just bought it or something. Who knows? But I loved it. Um, and then this is very random. But the Fifth Element soundtrack for me was really interesting. Um, and there, I was studying classical voice pretty deep at that point. And the opera scene where the woman is singing his part, but it like mixes in some electronic work with her voice and it blew my mind because that was not, that was not something I was used to hearing at that point. Um, and so I listened to that on repeat a lot. So those are my two. Uh, anyone else want to jump in with a favorite soundtrack? The Matrix. Yeah. Mm. yeah. I deal with that. Um, there's one soundtrack I didn't know was a soundtrack because I didn't see the movie. Um, Love Jones, the movie, that soundtrack is really, really, uh, really smooth. I didn't know that there were songs on there that are singles, like mm -hmm. just from that soundtrack that I loved, and they were all on the same, uh, same on the same CD. Yeah, that was a very 90s thing, for sure. Like, all the good soundtracks, there's always that one or two songs that they led with. Empire Records, it was a song by, I think the guy's. Edwin McCain, maybe it's the, like the third track and it's real retro groovy. It almost sounds like it should have been on Austin Powers. And I remember that being a single and that was on MTV uh, for a while. I, I think, you know, they sort of went away in the early through mid aughts. And it seems like James Gunn has kind of resurrected them with Guardians of the Galaxy mixtapes and all that. Uh, although I don't know, think they're doing original songs for that 
per se. I think it's mostly just he's pulling from different eras. I guess Tarantino has always done this really well, mm. too, with putting together that mixtape style. Um, anyone else have one that they want to chime in about? If we're talking 90s, I mean, you know, the singles soundtrack, I think, is pretty much that was me. Absolutely. I was like, you know, I, I got sucked in by Nirvana and, and the Seattle scene and, and the early grunge and, and singles was like hitting on that. It was, you know, and the whole movie itself and even, you know, the soundtrack was like deep cut of that kind of cultural movement, you know. Uh, but for me, uh, two, two that we owned, they were actually records that we owned. Uh, that are not 90s but the big chill was like just seminal for me I mean you just can't get away from that you know I mean it it was a great I mean I'm sure there were these you know Motown review you know records albums coming out but they hit the nail on the head with that one and you know and it was it was huge for me and then I as a kid owned the Ghostbusters soundtrack on vinyl and (laughs) man you know like uh, Ray Parker I mean it's like you know you know, the, the, the title song, you know, yeah. uh, who are you going to call, you know, Ghostbusters. I mean, it's, 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 uh, it's quintessential eighties groove and eighties, uh, you know, cinema music. I feel like. That's awesome. Yeah. Absolutely. When you, get, when you get to go last in one of these, you get, you put together the list. So um, West Side Story, mainly because I had then and still now have an enormous crush on Rita Moreno. <laughs> um for singles type soundtracks there was a movie called Times square which wasn't very good but it put together a bunch of punk rock and new wave songs and that came out sometime in the mid 80s and then i love Times square Times square i love the soundtrack to michael mann's movie heat uh de niro and pacino there is a segment and and brian eno didn't do all the score but there's when they're robbing the bank there's a there's a tune there called Force Marker, and you see De Niro and Val Kilmer coming out of the bank, and it's perfect. And it goes through what is also the best cinematic shootout in the streets of L.A. And it's just like this four and a half minute beautiful synchronization of soundtrack and action. You know, to that point, uh, we revisited Wall Street recently just to watch. I, I don't even remember how we got there, but man, like nothing against, I mean, you know, nothing against the movie, but like without the music, that movie mm. is lost. Yeah. I mean, you know, uh. that, like, literally the entire like urban identity, you know, that they're building uh, is, is just, uh, I don't know. I, I you know, I, I, I love it. Well, and, that goes to show how important the soundtrack is. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm pretty certain it was a solo project for him. It wasn't, a, it was post talking heads, but it just, just the signature of, of his music on that, on that uh, movie was so important. But, yeah. Did you guys see the David Byrne one man show on Broadway? No, we're, we, we they're, re, they're reprising it in, in winter and, and spring of yeah. 22. So we're hoping to maybe go and get, get tickets. Yeah. yeah. I saw it on HBO, but I would go and watch it in person. It, oh. it was incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I want to I want to briefly mention two soundtracks that popped in my mind that are really important to my life. Yes. We don't have to do, we don't have to discuss them because it's gonna it's gonna trigger you. <laughs> First one, since you mentioned Tarantino, Kill Bill soundtrack. Yes, that one's so good. Hands down. And then the other one that's real important in my life is The Wiz, mm-hmm. which is uh, the African American cultural adaptation of The Wizard of Oz, scored yeah. by Quincy Jones. Quincy Jones. Yes. And 
dear goodness that that I still listen to um to some of those you know just on they're on my you know Spotify playlist you know because the music is that good and it's original scoring and dear goodness I just love it. Have you seen so this is like not biopic but just bio just you know documentary the Quincy Jones doc on Netflix. yes several oh my god it's insane first off the breadth of the documentary is insane but then the breadth of his career like I can't even believe you know so when you mentioned the Wiz I was like oh yeah of course that too you know what I mean like it, it, there's so much so mm-hmm. much uh, body of work uh, it blows my mind so yeah. So I'll, I'll throw that out there. It's just pure documentary. I know, I know that's like its own category, but I'm, I'm a nonfiction uh, reader and watcher, you know. Well, let's hop into uh, music documentaries then for a second. Uh, I know for me, like when I think about one of my all-time favorites, it had to have been um, uh, the Wilco one, I, I'm Trying to Break Your Heart, which I, I actually saw it before I was that into Wilco. I think like I, some friends of mine, oh, you should, you know, they had mentioned, I'd heard a couple songs and you know, this was the LimeWire days when we were, you know, totally not illegally <laughs> downloading music and they're like, oh, you should watch this. So like we went and saw it at the independent theater there in Little Rock. And then I think like I went home to my hometown like the next weekend and it was like my birthday and I went or somewhere it was very close by and I went and bought that album uh, and just like, you know, hadn't even heard it the whole way through. I was like, I'm, I'm buying this. I hadn't bought a CD in ages, but I'm buying this one. And I mean, that one, and it's just so strange because it was just like, we're going to be a fly on the wall. And it just worked out perfectly where they just had that crazy dramatic arc through all of it with, you know, Jeff Tweedy's struggles and then the band friction and everything. And, and I think they put together a really good film. Uh, does anyone have like a, a concert documentary as well? You know, a different one we have that hasn't kind of been popped up yet. Concert documentary. Um, Lincoln Park and Jay Z did a crossover thing where they were on concert and they had um, an MTV unplugged. But I don't know if if it was maybe just um, a marathon I remember seeing or if it was a separate uh, piece. But I know um, Lincoln Park and Jay Z did did something together. Where it was, uh, and I know Lincoln Park by themselves. I've seen a few of their um, of their concerts, um, but like actually filmed though. The Lincoln Park Jay Z thing, I, I remember like that had some pretty decent songs. But I remember that kind of came about because there was the Gray album that Danger Mouse did, you know, with yeah. the remixes with the White album by the Beatles, and like it was gonna. I had heard, and I don't know if this is true, but I had heard that Rockefeller Records looked into releasing that, but to license all those samples would have been multi-million dollar thing. And it just like, they would have lost money on it. Uh, and so they're just like, everybody can just download it for free. But that I think is kind of where that Lincoln Park collab came from. And, and they did that remix, but yeah, that, that was a lot of fun for sure. Um, you know, who, who else has some? Well, music documentaries, I don't know if this is what you're talking about, but Nina Simone, that one is incredible and blew my mind when I watched that one. I learned a lot and dove in pretty deep after that. And then recently, my daughter, who's 15, oh, yeah. uh, we watched Beyonce, the Beyonce films. The Coachella, the Coachella oh, documentary. The Coachella. Mm-hmm. It's insane. And I then mean. we would pause it and try to do the dances. Um, <laughs> Good luck. Sure yeah. um, I wish that there had been like a little bit more behind the scenes because massive like that's such a massive project and undertaking and putting on a show like that I would have loved to have seen a little bit more behind the scenes on how it came together yeah that's a really good point I mean it 
it is the entire documentary is for this one performance you know so so it's like it, it, it's a concert documentary because it's about the performance but it's about how she gets what it takes to get to that performance mm -hmm. to come back from childbirth and to come back from you know kind of a, a you know period that she took off and then to come back uh you know after having to cancel you know coachella and then come back to to honor that gig i mean the whole the, the story of it is incredible and it's 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 um it, it's not direct narrative it's not linear narrative it it follows mm -hmm. in a really creative arc where it takes you into different places and you really have to dig yeah. in you know think about it but yeah that blew my mind i i, I was I, I walked in i'm like what are we watching yeah we'd have to pause it and run out and be like you gotta see this yeah. <laughs> um did I'm you gonna... do the dances too brian uh, yeah. learn learn the single ladies thing or yeah, there, there there's there's a couple of guys that are in her 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 troop Oof, that yeah. are just amazing i didn't even try to touch them I'm, just like, <laughs> I, I'm not even i don't blame even you close. yeah i'm not even get close um but what i was gonna say is not really it's a documentary not about a concert but the funk brothers documentary about the house band from motown oh, yeah. is incredible and and one of my favorite music anything on on film is in that movie in that documentary when you were talking about the zone i would I, I thought about this moment they they get the band together um in modern times it's not it's not like historical footage but they get to get the band together and they're like okay you know show us how you made ain't too proud to beg and and they like start out with the bass line and then the drummer comes in they add this like you know this right. kind of backbeat guitar and, it, and it's coming together and you're hearing it and you're like you're getting the groove and the last element they bring in the tambourine and it, all of a sudden, like, that's the song. And, you know, just to see those eight layers of the musicians that actually made that, you know, made that song, made that record, to see those come together and they show how important that last element is to the mm. whole identity of that song. That, that's, that's one of my favorite music moments in any, any you know, documentary style film for sure. Well, to sound old, <laughs> I grew up in the middle of nowhere, Arkansas. And uh, before MTV, right? MTV didn't start till I was in college. So you just didn't see much music. You could maybe try to stay up and watch the Midnight Special or Don Kirshner's Rock Concert. But the drive-in, the drive-in would occasionally have uh, concert movies as the second bill. So my friends and I went to see uh, The Last Waltz, which was great. We saw the movie No Nukes, Jackson Brown, Bruce Springsteen, Bonnie Raitt. But we saw... Woodstock. I think I was probably in ninth or tenth grade, and they showed the Woodstock, uh, you know, concert film. And you talk about blowing my mind. I didn't know what brown acid was, and this guy was up there saying, "Don't take the brown acid." It was like, hey, take the notes. Okay. "Yes, all right." When I get older, don't take the brown acid. And <laughs> and I had heard of Jimi Hendrix, but had never heard Jimi Hendrix. It's like what the hell is this in the who and country Joe and the fish. So those were my first concert experiences because you just, if you were in Baxter County, Arkansas, and you didn't have a car, you didn't see live music. So those were the ones we also saw. Um, the song remains the same, the Led Zeppelin. Yeah. And I still don't know what the hell is going on in that. <laughs> I need to watch that again. Cause that was just way past me when I saw it. <laughs> I, I, you made me think of something about that too. When I was a kid, I had a friend whose dad had a bunch of like ACL, Austin City Limits bootleg VHS mm. tapes. Some that I think he had recorded when it aired, but then there, there's, there was this 
people would pass those recorded episodes around like you know like bootlegs and uh yeah. he, he i you know i just remember watching stevie ray on acl with him as like a vhs you know like sit down kids and he put <laughs> you know, right be prepared you know <laughs> i don't know i mean you know i i think i think you, cody you've hit on something here um it's a, an entire uh it's, you know an entire organization unto itself music music documentary <laughs> yeah. cinema yeah. <laughs> all of these we could do in-depth podcast series on for sure for sure well i know you know we've also talked about movies about music i think bernie's i believe you mentioned dream girls and singles came up brian which singles is one of my absolute favorite movies of the 90s and what's so cool about that one is like cameron crowe broke that scene like everybody thinks it was and it was Nirvana that blew it into the mainstream. But Cameron Crowe had been living there for several years. He wrote that. He cast Eddie Vedder and Chris Cornell and Alice Jane, like all of those. And it was all about that Seattle scene. And, and it just luckily came out right whenever it blew up, you know. And, and so, yeah, I've always been a fan of those. And just, you know, Matt Dillon's character in that movie is so funny anyway you know uh does anyone uh have you know because i'll ask this and we've got one final question but does anyone have any other movies uh about music that not not a musical per se but a movie about music that comes to mind and, and why you love it whiplash oh jk simmons i love it because at, like, as a jazz musician i felt every bit of that man's journey the you know, I don't know if I'm good enough to, I'm over practicing to get good enough, but to whose standards and even the, um, now he went a bit extreme. I would never go through that much physical pain, you know, for the music, like, you know, that, that director could have went somewhere else after a while. But, um, but just watching that and feeling that, and I had a band director um, who was very militant, you know, uh, when it came to marching band. So there was, there were several things that, that resonated with me and, and that main character uh where it's like yeah that's the that's the jazz journey if you choose to take it but there's another route where you keep your sanity as well so you know uh, it's up to you you know if you want to be great or you want to be who you want to be great for really is the question yeah i don't think we've seen that so that that's going to be on my on my list Take notes and yes you mentioned marching band i i grew up in a military marching band so <laughs> militant band leader yes i know all about that anyone else have one they want to add you know i'll admit that this movie is cheesy but um so you know when you mentioned matt matt dylan you know i i have this thing so one of my proto movies in my life is the outsiders because it was filmed in tulsa and i grew up in outsiders so so i oftentimes branch off to like what those actors were also in uh and and so and i don't have to do this with ralph macho because then you have karate kid and so mm -hmm. like those two movies alone were so seminal for me but crossroads with Ralph Macchio when he's, you know, he like goes down the, the crossroads and makes a deal. And then he like, he plays the duel and, you know, at the big concert with the devil. I mean, it's a total cheese thing, but to like see one of my, you know, early film heroes, is like, this is Johnny and, and, you know, and the Karate Kid as a guitar hero, that's all I needed. You know? like, I was in, I was in all, all, all levels of that. Did they do the, it later? And I was like, ah, I don't know. <laughs> did they do the editing thing where it's like you see his face and it cuts to someone else's hand over on the fretboard? I, think, Vi, I yeah. think actually Steve Vai did all of the actual guitar parts and then was the B shot of the hands on the guitar. Yeah. Wow. Okay. 
I want to, I want to, um, I want to throw in, since he talked about the guitar and Tenacious D in the Pick of Destiny. (laughs) (laughs) That's about music. Yeah. And talk about creativity and fearlessness. Like, there's just no fear there. Yeah. Jack Black with that and School uh, School of Rock. School of Rock. We've seen it probably 74 times. (laughs) Our daughter loves that movie. So we uh, we know that one forwards and backwards. It's so good. I, I think you're I think you're proving true, Cody. You said you know what would movies be without music, but I think what would movies be without music movies is probably the <laughs> yeah. bookend to yeah. that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this brings me to my final question, and it's something we've touched on throughout the whole podcast today. But I want to give everybody a chance to put it into you know words, a, a succinct thought of sorts. What power does good music, whether it be a soundtrack of like a Tarantino type soundtrack or a score, uh, a film score, a Hans Zimmer, somebody like that, you know, what power does good music provide for telling a story? So uh, let's start with Kyle. Uh, Frames it, right? I mean, my goodness, every time I answer a question, I sound older, but here you go. Watch. The original 1931 Frankenstein with Boris Karloff and Colin Clive. There's no music. And it's its own sort of atmosphere. Then James Whale, the same director, makes Bride of Frankenstein two years later with a score, which is considered one of the best early uh, sound scores in film history. And it's such a more atmospheric framed experience. Um, there's, there's something about watching Frankenstein now because we're so used to music being behind the action that it has developed its own kind of element like, oh, wow, what a bold choice to not have music. And I don't think it was necessarily that choice. But if you watch those two very similar films together, you'll see, oh, a great score can take a great screenplay and great acting. And yes, Boris Karloff was a great actor in those films and make it so much more. It it's hard to think of a movie that I truly love other than Frankenstein, take the music away and it would be the same film. No. Oh, sorry. I was just going to ask on that real quick. Kyle, was that like back in the day whenever they would have like a piano player or organist or whatever in the theater? Was it that era for the original? Well, they were moving out of that. So um, by then you could put the separate, I'm getting in over my head. Damon will probably, help me out here, but you could put the separate, when creating the spools of film, you know, you could have the, the soundtrack also on the film, a separate track or channel or something. So they're moving away from that. And I suppose, because Frankenstein was made, you know, just a couple of years into sound being available. And so it may have been one of those that did have accompanied us, you know, in the theater. But by the time you got to Brighter Frankenstein, that was almost gone, and, and, and soundtracks on the film were becoming the standard. Uh, Bernice, did you have a thought? Oh, yeah. Or you guys? I, over there? I was thinking about you know, a film that wouldn't be the same without the music is Star Wars, hands down. Like, <laughs> no. this, this that, like wouldn't, it wouldn't even be the same movie if you didn't have that fantastic Jaws. Movie. Jaws. Yeah. Yeah, totally. 
And and then my other thought is, wouldn't it be cool if we brought a company as back for films? <laughs> yeah, I love a good live scoring. It's a lot of fun. Oh, that'd be so fun. So so this is something that I was talking to uh, Professor Frank Scheid about in that era that you're talking about, Kyle. That what you said made me think of it. So he was telling me about this time in in late silent film and early audio technology, where they actually made two different cuts of the films. Mm-hmm. Because the one film would go out to a, you know, a, a theater that still had a live musician or a live orchestra to play along with the silent film. But there was also one that was dubbed with voice. And they had to actually cut two different versions of the mm-hmm. film. And he's done some work where he looks at comparing those two and what decisions were made with sound, without sound. And that's fascinating to me. I mean, that seems to get at the, the core of that issue of like, what does sound add to, you know, to a film, um, you know, for certain. Uh, Damon, I'll hop back over to you real quick. Uh, what power does good music provide for a story, in your opinion? Um, so kind of getting back to uh, what Kyle had mentioned about the, the time period is that uh, uh, some people don't know that music was before speech in film. So really, you only had the, uh, the actors on stage, you know, doing the exaggerated movements. And then the score or, or the accompanist behind that would, you know, accentuate that. And so um, the score really tells the story. You know, uh, the way I teach my students is the, the sound effects are the action of the screen. The script is the, how I call it, is the plot. And the music tells you the emotion. So the music in any film or any form of visual media is media is telling the audience how to feel about what's going on on screen. Uh, there's a there's a, a experiment or a couple of um, uh, videos on YouTube where they take this scene from Pirates of the Caribbean where uh, Jack Sparrow's you know about to do this heroic you know ride in on sea, and if you change the music. You'll have a completely different idea of what about is what is about to happen next. And if you take a even a genre like horror, horror movies rely on music in order to have their effect to be, um, you know, to to happen on the audience. Because I have to anticipate something's going to happen or something's going to come around the corner in order for it to surprise me. So even just having that violin is going to be like, oh, something's going to happen. And then all of a sudden something happens. It's like it's helping to tell the story. And just the visuals by by themselves um, don't provide the aesthetic information. It provides plot information, and that's cool. But then I'm going to walk away without an emotional imprint. And so without the music, you really can't tell the story fully. Yeah, it's like without the... Do, 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 do. Like for the Halloween film, Michael Myers is just a weirdo in a mask who loves cutlery. <laughs> like, like that's it. That that to me, that is the creepiest of all uh, film scores. Like I always listen to it around Halloween when I want to get creeped out. Just uh, that one that James, uh, not James, uh, what, what's his name who did Carpenter. Halloween? John Carpenter. Carpenter, that John Carpenter did, yeah, uh, who I think scored a lot of his films. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it, it's I, I agree with you completely. I think it's a great point that music is the emotion for it. So uh, to close us out, Brian and Bernice, do y'all have any more thoughts on you know what what you think about good music and how it affects story? I, I'm gonna second this. Like you, you don't even need language in in the 
the film we just watched a couple of shorts those little disney shorts and there was one on the simpsons last night that we watched it's like a four minute short um and it, and there's no dialogue it's hans zimmer music only yeah and you have the story laid out because of the music it's it's so intense and beautiful and like i, I cried and yeah if you're if, if you're a simpsons fan there are these two shorts they're about four or four and a half minutes and they both follow maggie and so of course she's not going no to speak <laughs> and it's just it's it's brilliant and 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 you know she she's just navigating it's a, it's set in a daycare it's, it's set in the ayn rand a school for tots you know and it's so like it's all it's got all of the heady you know you know uh, inferences that that you would expect from the simpsons but then what you lose is that um satirical commentary the narrative yeah. and what you get is the music and and the the you know the um you know the art of 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 the of the cartoon itself and, it, and it's pretty it's, powerful if it's well done you should be able to close your eyes and not have to see what's on the screen to to feel the expression of the movie you should be able to get that just from the score or the songs put together yeah. to lace it all together for you there you go we'll end on the simpsons all right it's a good way to end uh <laughs> anyone have any other thoughts they would like to add oh well if we're going to say that the simpsons uh, put out a great soundtrack mixtape in in the late eighties, uh, and and I I owned that. And so if we're going to end on the Simpsons, we should you know encourage people to go find that. Yeah, give there's, it a plug. Like, it, it's like Bart sings all these songs, and uh, they, he does a cover of a of of um, Bad to the Bone, you know. And mm. like, anyway, so yeah, so they were, I remember this, and I remember the Beavis and Butthead, the cartoon, uh, not the film, but the cartoon had its own soundtrack too, yeah. because it had. Uh, a Nirvana song, like the last song they ever recorded, called I Hate Myself and Want to Die, which probably should have tipped some people off where Kurt was headed. But yeah, that one was on there. That was the first time I ever heard that song. Uh, but yeah, so it was always fun whenever cartoons, you know, did those kind of things. Uh, but okay, so that concludes our panel discussion today. I want to thank uh, Brian and Bernice Henry. I want to thank Damon Tolbert. And I want to thank Kyle Kellums for being here. And before we go, because we have some musicians here, and uh, if people want to follow you, how can they follow uh, you, Damon? Uh, if you want to follow me, type in Google or whatever uh, search platform. My first and last name as it's spelled, D-A-M-E-N-T-O-L-B-E-R-T. Or you can search my stage name, Dimensional, D-A-M-E-N-T-I-O-N-A-L. Dimensional. Just uh, type that in anywhere and you should be able to pull me up. And how can people find out about Smokey and the Mirror? Go to smokeyandthemirror.com. That's Smokey with the E-Y. And uh, you can find us on all those streaming platforms. And we have a website. You can check out our bio and find our music there. Yeah. yeah. And Kyle, if people want to listen to Ozarks at Large. Uh, KUAF.com or OzarksAtLarge.com. So that concludes this episode of Real Talk Arkansas. I'd like to thank my panelists, Damon Tolbert, Kyle Kellams, and Brian and Bernice Henry for joining me and talking about all the great things that we love about movies and music. So tonight, or this morning, whenever you're listening to this podcast, maybe, you know, set back, hop on Spotify, or whatever streaming service or CD player you have, and listen to one of your favorite soundtracks or scores. And just take a moment to appreciate how great music make movies. Real Talk Arkansas is produced by... Christian Lewis, and Cody Ford. Theme music by Amos Cochran. 
Thank you for listening and tune in next time. To find out more about Arkansas Cinema Society, visit our website, www.arkansascinemasociety.org.